appreciate the uh, the audience of the morning as uh, we've uh, already announced and as was as was read about we're going to talk about the resurrection <clears throat> I've entitled the uh, sermon he is risen and it comes out of Matthew chapter 8 and verse number 6 come see the place where the Lord lay and we're going to talk about that and read about that this morning what a difference a week makes uh, I've been out of town for a week I scalped my yard when I left last week it was brown and dingy I got back this morning and got out, got outside when it's daylight, and I've got green grass, and it's beautiful. The yard's pretty, and the trees are budding out. The the uh, the uh, birds are back, as Michael said. Spring is uh, spring is upon us, and what better time to talk about the resurrection, the resurrection that gives us hope, the resurrection, as has been mentioned by Brother Michael in uh, in the prayer, the power that comes from the resurrection, and we're going to talk about that this morning. I want to go back to the reading, though, as we get started out of uh, Psalms chapter 16. I highlighted the verses that we're going to talk about specifically this morning. It says, For you will not leave my soul in Sheol. In the New Testament, they use the word hell there, which just means the resting place, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. If you look at the phrase right before it, it says, My flesh also will rest in hope. So David here talking about this relationship that he has with the Lord. If you remember the verse or the chapter started with, Preserve me, O God. David is talking about this relationship that he has with this God. And he's talking about this, this opportunity or this thing that he recognizes that can come in the future from his Lord, his God. He says, preserve me, O God. He talks about his unchangeable confidence in the Lord. He talks about the fact that there were no other lords on his heart. There's no other gods in his heart. Everything he has is focused on God. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. God is the source of all of his blessings. It's a source of his inheritance. God means everything to him. And then here at the end of the chapter, he starts talking about what's going to happen in the future. He says, my flesh has hope because I know that just like you're not going to leave your Holy One in hell, his body is not going to see corruption. His body is going to be resurrected just like you're going to do that. I'm going to have that same hope. And that's why we're all here this morning, right? We're all here this morning as Christians because we want that same hope. We want that same resurrection. We want God to use that same power that we're going to talk about on us individually in the last day as he comes back and the resurrection, the second coming, happens. So let's begin this morning by talking about how this prophecy was fulfilled. It's talked about these very words or this very quote is talked about twice in the New Testament, both in the book of Acts. And it happens as Peter is preaching the first gospel sermon in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. <clears throat> in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 31, it says, and I wrote this in the, or I put this up here in ERV. So a little different version, maybe a little easier to understand, but it's not going to have that same poet, poetry that the King James Version has and that most of us memorized it out of. But it says, David knew this before it happened. So we're talking, he's quoting this, talking about this psalm that David wrote. That is why he said this about the future king. He, will not, he was not left in the place of death. His body did not rot in the grave. Dave was, David was talking about the Messiah rising from the dead. So he talks about here in Acts chapter 2, Peter's telling them, 
David talked about what has just happened. Remember, the crucifixion has happened. Christ has spent three days in the grave. He's now been resurrected, and Peter's standing up and preaching the first sermon. And he's saying, this is exactly what David talked about. He didn't say back in Psalms chapter 16 and verse number whatever, because they didn't have chapters and verses. But he says, this is what David talked about. He talked about the fact that the king, the Messiah, his body was not going to be left in, in hell. And in Acts chapter 13 and verse number 35, it says, But in another psalm it says, You will not let your Holy One rot in the grave. David did God's will during the time he lived, then he died and was buried like all of his ancestors, and his body did rot in the grave. But the one God raised from death did not rot in the grave. So he's saying here, David wasn't talking about himself when he was talking about that God wasn't going to let his body uh, stay or his body see corruption. David was talking about the Messiah. He was talking about the king. He was talking about this Jesus that had just been crucified. So that's the fulfillment. Let's go back to um, the book of Matthew and let's read the story of the resurrection morning. It's a beautiful story. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow, and for fear of him the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear, ye, fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. <clears throat> I think there's a couple of interesting things in here. First of all, this, this power is starting to be, this power is being shown here as the earthquake happens and the stone is rolled away. And used to, when I read this, I thought that was the moment that Jesus resurrected. The angel had to come get him. And I don't know if you thought that when you read it, but as a child, that's what I thought. I thought this was the moment of the resurrection. The angels come. He rolls back the stones so that Jesus can get out. But Jesus didn't need help from an angel, did he? Jesus is the Son of God. When his father said, Arise, my son, he did not need an angel. He didn't, there was no stone going to keep him. That was his fleshly body. His spirit was in the resting place. He arose from the resting place. His body arose. He did not need the angel's help. In fact, in the very next verse, it tells us, He is not here, for He is risen. And He said, Come, see the place where the Lord lay. You see, they didn't roll this, He didn't roll the stone back so Jesus could get out. He rolled the stone back so that the women could see in. He wanted to show them the fact that Jesus had arisen. Jesus' body is not there. It's no longer there anymore. He has risen. And, and the angel says, Go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him. Lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, and did run to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail! And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. This is a pivotal point in all of mankind, Jesus' resurrection. This is the hope that Michael talked about as he opened the service this morning. This is where our hope comes from. This is where our 
everlasting promise comes from, it comes from the fact that Jesus was brought out of the grave. It didn't come from the fact that he was beaten and put on a tree and died. Hundreds of people have done that. Millions of people have died. There's only been one that was resurrected. That's where the power is. That's where we come in contact with that power. We're going to talk about how to come in contact with that power. Another interesting point from the resurrection, I, I love the fact that the guards, or the, it says here the keepers, says they, they shook and, and uh, they were as dead men. I don't know if that's the, where the phrase scared to death comes from, but literally these guys were scared to death. It said they were just frozen and they were like dead men. They were scared to death. The women leave, notice with two things, they leave with both fear and great joy. They don't know exactly what's going on too. There's a certain amount of fear in there. But can't you just see, can't put yourself in the, the face or in the life of Mary and Mary as they peer into that, they, they peer into that sepulcher and no one's there. The grave cloth's there, but Jesus has risen. And they, it says they leave with fear and great joy. Can't you imagine, just imagine if you've lost a loved one and all of a sudden you realize they've been resurrected. That's one part of it. That's one thing that would excite you. That's one thing that would give you great joy. But not only is this just, it's not just any loved one. This is the Son of God that has done exactly what he promised. If you kill this body, I will raise it up again in three days. You can't kill me. I am deity. I am God. I will rise again in three days. What a great story. And not only were they happy <clears throat> highlighted there he is not here he is risen and he is risen from the dead not only were they happy but all of these other people as Jesus appeared one at a time to all of these to the men on the, to the road Emmaus to Peter to the disciples without Thomas to all of the disciples to 500 other people to 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 his brother to all these people see Jesus and all of a sudden there's a change. All of a sudden Christianity is born. All of a sudden forgiveness of sins takes on a whole new meaning. All of a sudden it can be forgiven me. I can appear before my God white as snow because of this great resurrection morning. You see, the cross is, I, um, is kind of where we'll talk a little bit here. This is my thinking here. The cross to me is about God's love and His mercy and His grace. You see, He created us. They created us. They loved us. They created us. And they put us in a beautiful garden. And they said, you can do anything you want except for one thing. Don't eat of that tree. But you see, He didn't create robots because think about your relationship with your spouse or your mom, your dad, your loved one, whatever. Think about the fact if they had to love you. If they had to love you. They didn't have any choice. They're a robot. Christie's walking around. I love Kent. I love Kent. I love. There's no choice. Kent's the same way towards Christie. There's no choice. What would it mean? It wouldn't mean anything. God put us on this earth with free choice because he wants it to be in a relationship that has meaning with us. 
And that's what this cross and this resurrection is all about. So he creates the garden. He puts us in it. So we break that rule. So man, he kicks us out of the garden. We populate the earth. We have trouble again. He wipes all of us out but eight with, with water. Makes promises to Abraham that through your descendant, Jesus Christ, your one descendant, not descendants, as uh, Galatians 3 talks about, your one descendant, I'm going to change the world. And then he gives us a law, 10 commandments, 400 and 600 and something other laws and rules and regulations. Why? Not because the promise didn't mean anything, but he gives us the law to prove to us that we can't follow it. He says, here's a law of what good people do, and then we prove that we're not good people. We, we can't do those 600 and something commandments effectively, completely. So he goes back and he says, this descendant I promise you is going to come, and that's Jesus. And I'm going to pour out my love, and I'm going to pour out my grace, and I'm going to pour out my mercy on the cross in the form of my son. He's going to die. But he's not going to stay dead. He's going to be resurrected forever. And on that side, for you and I, we get the power and we get the hope. We get the power of the resurrection because now, because as Michael said this morning, because Christ was raised up, we also are going to be able to be raised up through that power. And that's the hope that we have. That's the reason that we're here this morning is for that great hope, that picture of hope that we can be with Christ one day. That be, we can be resurrected into heaven with Him one day. The power of the resurrection. Let's see what the Scriptures have to say about it. In Romans chapter 1 and verse number 3, it says, Concerning His Son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So Christ was resurrected from the dead. That is the power that has been declared. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. It's Paul talking for, for his sake. I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and I may share his sufferings, because like him in his death, that by all means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So Paul here says, I count everything else in my life as rubbish, as garbage. Nothing else matters except that I obtain the power, that I obtain that resurrection through the power of Jesus Christ. Nothing else matters. What's the first and greatest commandment? Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, being, everything, everything. Paul says, I have obtained the resurrection of the dead through that power. <clears throat> In Romans chapter 6 and verse number 3, passages we're probably all familiar with. Again, in the ERV, maybe a, 
a little different uh, language than we're used to. But this is how we come in contact with the resurrection. Brother Jeremy talked about it last Sunday. He used the same passage, or maybe it was the Sunday before, but it was, uh, it was when Jeremy talked about the second resurrection or the second coming, the church being risen. But anyway, Romans chapter 6, did, did you forget that all of us became part of Jesus Christ when we were baptized? In our baptism, we share in his death. So when you were baptized, you were buried with Christ and took part in his death. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the wonderful power of the Father, so we can now live a new life. Christ died, and we have been joined with him by dying too. So we will also be joined with him by rising from the death as he did. We know that our old life was put to death on the cross with Christ. This happened so that our sinful selves would have no power over us. Then we would, be, we would not be slaves to sin. Christ was raised from the death by the wonderful power of the Father. And we have that same promise. He goes on in, uh, in verse number 10 to say, Yes, when Christ died... He died to defeat the power of sin one time, enough for all time. He now has a new life, and his new life is with God. In the same way, you should see yourselves as being dead to the power of sin and alive from God through Jesus Christ. So his resurrection is what gives us the power and the hope. The resurrection, the way we come in contact with that is through baptism through the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that gives that makes us be dead to the power of sin and alive for God through Christ. So what is how does that affect us? I probably listened or read I don't know 30 sermons about Easter before I got up to talk this morning. Not this morning, but over the last couple of weeks. It'll be pretty quick. Um, and and, I, and I, I read all kinds. One of the sermons was titled, Put All of Your Eggs in One Basket, which I thought was kind of cute. But that's exactly what I'm talking about this morning. I'm talking about us as Christians putting everything we've got into Jesus Christ, into the resurrection, into that hope, and into that power. You know, Jesus, um, when he talked to multitudes or when he talked to a number of people, he treated them very differently, um, as any preacher would, I guess, as he stands before an audience. One time he's got a great multitude and he preaches the greatest gospel sermon of all times called the Sermon on the Mount. He, he goes for two and a half chapters in the book of Matthew and he talks about everything that you need to do. Blessed, 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 all that great sermon. A couple of other times, he's not as nice. He basically says some stuff that you'd be going, what? And I want to talk about a couple of those instances this morning, not because I don't want to be nice, but um, because 
I think Easter is a time to talk about renewal, and I think Easter is a time to talk about getting better, and I think Easter is a time to maybe refocus as we get headed into the, into the spring and the summer. So um, here's an instance in Matthew chapter 13, and I've talked about this a little before, but in a different way. In Matthew chapter 13, uh, I've got the first three verses up here. It says, The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things of them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And I'll try to just paraphrase the rest of it. So he talks about this incident. He said, A sower goes forth to sow. And so a sower's the farmer or whatever. He's sowing seed. He says he throws out some seed and some falls on the wayside or the area where the pathway where you would walk. And it said the birds come and they gather it up and they fly off. Some of it falls into stony ground and it catches a little bit of a root and it grows up and the sun comes out and it withers and it dies away. Some fell among thorns and grew up but got tangled up in the thorns and the thorns choked it out. And some fell on good ground and it brought forth some hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. He who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And that was all he said to this great multitude of people. And the disciples come say, hey, why are you talking to them in parables? And he basically tells them this. Some people are going to be interested enough in what I've got to say that they're going to come and ask me what I meant, like you're doing. And other people are just going to walk off. And that's exactly what the parable of the sower means. Some fell on the wayside. Some people came to church, heard the word, walked out, didn't, make, didn't change their life one iota. The birds came, the seed is the word of God. The birds came and gathered up the seed and it didn't affect that person at all. Others come to church and the seed falls and it springs up and they walk out the door and they think about it for a few days, but then the sun and stuff, it just withers it away. doesn't really affect them. Others falls on their heart, and it grows up, and it grows, but the thorns are the cares of this world. Jesus said the thorns are the cares of this world, and the cares of this world entangle that seed and choke it out. And then it said some... It's going to fall into your heart and it's going to grow and you're going to give forth fruit. Some are going to give a lot of fruit, some a medium amount of fruit and some a lesser amount of fruit, but you're going to give off, you're going to give off fruit. It's going to mean something to you. You're going to dig into God's Word. You're going to become a Christian. You're going to develop a personal relationship with God. The resurrection's going to mean something to you. It's going to have power. Others of you, it won't. He who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Some pretty harsh words. Now, obviously, sometimes he was with um, people that he felt like the heart it would fall on and it would be good ground. Other times he was surrounded by a lot of Pharisees and a lot of people that were trying to do him evil. Here's another one. And they were they and there went great multitudes with him. And he turned and said unto them, If any man come unto me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea. In his lone, lone life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, is that something you'd want to say to a church full of Christians and then just quit? Or a church full of anybody that you wanted to follow you? If you don't hate everybody and just love me, you can't be my disciple. Some pretty tough words. 
And again, it says, it says in the Bible here, a lot of people went away because they could not handle that. They couldn't handle the fact that God has to be first. God wants a personal relationship with us. So as we think about the resurrection, and we think about the power of that resurrection, and we think about the hope of that resurrection, how does it drive us? What does it cause to be different in our life? We've been commanded to repent. It talks about nailing our sins to the cross, putting our sins on the cross, and turning away from that, and being different, and putting God first. How does that drive us? What do we do any different? How are we different from the rest of the world? How do we use our time and our energy and our treasure differently? share a real quick story from Nigeria I was and I wasn't even this just popped into my mind I was studying with some brothers uh, in Nigeria uh, one evening and we were studying about the church and we were studying about the commandment we were we had studied about preaching and praying and the church assembly and we talked about song and we talked about um, women keeping silent and we talked about all the different aspects of the church and we got to giving and it said purpose in your heart And my Nigerian brother said, I do not understand this purpose in your heart. Tell me what you mean. And I said, well, to me, it means I look at the money that I think I'm going to make in a given year, and I portion out some of that, and I make a decision. I purposefully decide what it is that I'm going to give. And he said, brother, I walk to church with 100 naira in my pocket, and my decision is do I feed my family or do I give it to the church? How do I purpose? And I said, well, obviously, we're in, he said, you do not understand Nigeria. I said, you're right, I do not understand Nigeria. 100 naira is 33 cents, for those of you that don't know. That's 100 naira. It looks like a lot of money, but it's 33 cents. He says, I can buy rice to feed my family, or I can give that to the church. You see, brothers, there's other things besides money. He was an electrician. There's many church buildings that didn't have electrical. I said, well, let's talk about how you can use your talent or your time. It doesn't have to be your money. But God wants your very best. But every Sunday in Nigeria, they are literally making the widow's might decision. Every Sunday, there are people in our brotherhood over there that are making the widow's might decision. They're casting in everything they've got. They don't know how they're going to feed their family the next week. They're that committed to doing what the Lord asked them to do. So, that's why I put these verses on the board. Maybe to, I don't want to beat anybody up. But I I just want us to come to a realization that God wants all of us. He wants our very best. And he wants it the very first and the very best. But he's got a real simple invitation. He has an invitation of rest that says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and I will sup with him and he with me. You see, Jesus is not asking for a bunch of robots, doesn't want a bunch of robots. Jesus is not going to come down and beat you into submission so that you start worshiping him. Jesus has got a very simple invitation. You come unto me, there's rest. I'm going to knock on the door. If you'll open it and let me, I'll come in and I'll sup with you and we'll develop a personal relationship. But we've got to want that relationship. And it's more than just showing up on Sunday morning and even Sunday afternoon and even a Bible study in the middle of the week. It's more than that. It is putting him first and foremost in our life making him the single most important thing we're focused on more than our job more than our wife our kids our brothers our sisters that's what that verse meant it didn't mean that you literally have to hate your wife that doesn't make any sense but it does mean you better love god more you better love him more than you love your kids and that's tough i know it's especially tough for moms <laughs> i've spent the week with cat she loves her kids dearly but i believe cat loves the lord more but she doesn't want to be put to that test. None of us would. <laughs> but you've got to love him more. He's got to be the most important thing. If the church can help you this morning, if you'd come while we stand and sing.